0: Three years ago, the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson went on television and told the nation... From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Since then, the Covid pandemic has killed over 200,000 people in the UK. But while most of us have returned to pre-pandemic normality... There are teams of scientists around the world looking for the disease that could cause the next global health crisis.
1: There are several on the horizon that we are watching, but I think if you look back at history, every emerging infection event has come as a surprise. And doing
0: everything in their power to stop it becoming another pandemic. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and Sunday Times. I'm Sean O'Neill. Today, the hunt for Disease X.
2: I went to the Pandemic Institute in Liverpool. This is an institute to stop the next pandemic liverpool's got a really long history of this the liverpool school of tropical medicine has been there for about 125 years and of course liverpool's a dock city so they're used to viruses coming into the city ships being quarantined so it's fascinating that you know in 2023 this is kind of the front line in the battle against the next pandemic
0: while today Ben Spencer, the science editor for the Sunday Times, might be wearing his office uniform of crumpled suit and open-necked shirt, his trip to Liverpool involved PPE and a
2: lab coat. They've got two big labs, which are different containment levels. So there's a containment level two lab, which is kind of people in lab coats doing their business testing vaccines etc but not a lot of security maybe you've got lab space for maybe 60 scientists in there and they've got the containment level three lab which is a whole different matter it's quite small quite contained and that's where they're really dealing with the dangerous viruses i was there with the scientists but there was also a safety coordinator there with us to make sure nothing went wrong
1: OK, so before we go into any containment level 3 lab, we need to follow strict procedures that are in place in terms of uh, safety.
2: You go in through an airlock, you've got a double door, one can't open without the other one. And when you're in the airlock, you've got to put on a, a lab coat, you've got to put on gloves, and the instructions are very clear, you do not touch anything.
1: The procedure we have in place requires not touching anything, unless you have the corresponding gloves on.
2: So you can only handle one bit of equipment with that set of gloves and then as soon as you've stopped touching that piece of equipment the gloves go in the bin so you don't transfer anything between bits of equipment. There is this hum of the fans where the cabinets were linked up to a filtration system so it's basically negative pressure inside the cabinets so if anything was airborne it gets sucked straight away so we're all quite protected.
0: take a step back now that's a fascinating place but you weren't there out of curiosity there's a real purpose to the work that's going on there, tell me a little bit about that
2: So we're three years on now since the UK went into lockdown with the Covid pandemic and really the purpose of this institute is to identify the next threats and make sure they don't get to pandemic level and the Pandemic Institute in Liverpool isn't the only ones working on this, this is Global, all around the world, there are similar institutes working on this problem. Where will the next pandemic come from and how will we stop it?
0: Tell me who's in charge there, who's running the show at the Pandemic Institute in Liverpool.
1: My name is Professor Tom Solomon and I'm the
2: director of the Pandemic Institute. Professor Tom Solomon, who's a really interesting scientist who I've been speaking to since 2014 during the Ebola outbreak. He's actually a neurologist but kind of took on a second job as a virologist. He's got this dual expertise and that's because of his work with things like Japanese encephalitis which affect the brain.
1: The aim of the Pandemic Institute is to tackle emerging infections and future pandemic threats and as I say to people it's a bit of a misnomer because if we wait for something to become a pandemic then we'll already have failed in our mission.
2: I knew he had set up this new Pandemic Institute. And when I set out to write this piece about the next pandemic, he was the first one I kind of reached out to because I knew this was exactly what he was working on.
1: The containment level 3 labs are secure labs for working on some of the most dangerous
0: viruses. So we have in here, for example, Japanese encephalitis virus. Japanese encephalitis, which Professor Solomon studies, is a viral brain infection spread by mosquitoes and is common in Southeast Asia and the Far East.
1: We're going to show you some plaque assays. So that is a a layer of cells that the virus has grown on and you can tell where the virus has grown because it kills the cells underneath, so you get a a spot, if you like. And that's a good way of counting how much virus there is. My name's Dr Shona Moore um, and I'm a senior programme manager for the Liverpool Brain Infection Group.
2: So we're in the containment level three lab surrounded by a lot of machines humming away. Some big freezers set at minus 80. And what are we looking at here? This is a class one
1: microbiological safety cabinet. So we would uh, only
2: ever open our virus
1: up inside here.
2: You can't actually physically put your hands in. You've got these big rubber gauntlet type things.
1: So we have two different ones, yeah. So that one over there, we can open up and we can put our hands in. And this one, we can put our material in through here. And then we put our hands in and we work in it. So we're completely closed off from
2: what we're working with. When I was there, they were looking at Japanese encephalitis, which is endemic in places like Vietnam and Indonesia, parts of India, but at the moment, it's actually ripping through Australia as mosquitoes' uh, range expands with climate change. What are you learning about Japanese encephalitis now with these tests that you didn't know before?
1: So Japanese encephalitis virus, just like lots of other viruses, is changing. You might want to see, is it behaving more aggressively? And one way you measure virulence is by seeing how many plaques you get in the plaque Mm. assay.
2: These were cells of purple plaque arrays. And you could actually see the Japanese encephalitis where it eaten away, where it attacked the cells. So it was quite alarming actually looking at it. it was, this is was a, a virus that was out to kill.
0: Ben, you mentioned the next pandemic. Hmm. We're struggling to get over the last one. and Some people would say we're still in in the grip of COVID.
2: I mean, COVID is still with us. It will never go away. I mean, this past winter has been taking about 500 or so lives a week in the UK. That seems
0: staggering, isn't
2: it? It's big numbers, isn't it? I mean, that fluctuates. It goes up and down. We all live with disease. We live with disease all the time. There are many things that are out to kill us as human beings. And COVID is one that really caught us unawares. And what's remarkable is that three years on, we've actually bounced back Mm. to something that's actually quite similar to what went before. There were lots of speculation about how it would change society. But in many other ways, (laughs) the reality we're living in now is not too dissimilar to the reality Mm. we were in in 2019.
0: So thankfully, while we're trying to forget about it, people like Tom Solomon are looking ahead on what might be next. How is it exactly that they track or figure out what the threats might be?
1: It's hard to predict what the next big threat is going to be. There are several on the horizon that we are watching. But I think if you look back at
2: history, every emerging infection event has come as a surprise. It's a huge question isn't it I mean there's something like 250 viruses which can infect humans and that's a huge number Wow! and that's not to mention all the bacteria and funguses that could also potentially cause epidemic level infections if we think about obviously COVID-19
1: but if we think before that to Ebola in West Africa hadn't been seen in West Africa before. If we think about the Zika problems, so we've
2: never been very good
1: at predicting precisely what the next threat will be.
2: The World Health Organization has a list of priority pathogens, which is about 10 viruses that has epidemic potential, they say. And then there's the one that really scares scientists, which is disease X, which is the unknown and covid was our disease x it was something that came out of nowhere and we didn't know about it beforehand and it almost instantly spiraled out of control so how do you look out for viruses or or other pathogens like this there's two ways really one is virus hunting
0: virus hunting
2: Virus hunting, most of these viruses come from animals. They're zoonotic. Like 70% of human diseases mm. have jumped over from animals. So it's about looking at what viruses are in animals and trying to work out which ones have the potential to jump. And that's tricky. I mean, there's eight coronaviruses which infect humans. There's COVID, there's SARS-1, there's MERS, and there's four or five quite mild coronaviruses which cause the common cold Mm -hmm. and then there's a hundred or so coronaviruses which infect bats possibly more so which of those are the next threat the other way of looking for the next threat is to do really comprehensive surveillance in hospitals most bad infections will cause a respiratory disease or a fever or affect the brain broadly so there's one school of thought which is you really keep an eye out on hospitals on intensive care wards for things that don't look right Mm -hmm. things that are unusual and you do really comprehensive genetic sequencing when you find those cases and you do that in places where diseases emerge which is the tropics and by doing this you can really catch infections early
0: So tell me, what do we know about what's being found by that hospital surveillance and by virus hunting? Have we got any clues as to what's out there?
2: Neither of them are being done particularly well at the moment. It's quite patchy, and there's lots of scientists trying to do this better. But recently, for example, a team in Texas found a coronavirus in Malaysia, which had jumped over from dogs a canine-like coronavirus now this is something that made about eight people ill didn't transmit on Mm -hmm. separately a team in haiti found a very similar coronavirus so just this kind of early surveillance work is showing there's a lot of viruses jumping into humans that we don't know about now most of them won't go anymore because there's no human to human transmission they're not very well suited to human beings so they kind of either die out or the person dies but there's no onward transmission in the parlance that we all know the r rate of these viruses is zero it doesn't transmit on so these aren't the great threat at the moment but by doing this surveillance work you can work out what viruses are out there and what might be the next threat
0: Coming up, the virus that's already on the radar and worrying scientists. That's after a message from a colleague. I'm Kat Lay, health editor at The Times. Our health coverage spans everything from how the way we live can raise or lower our risk of diseases, to advances in medical treatment, to the problems facing the NHS and their potential solutions. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: I'm David Badil. I'm a writer and a comedian
2: and a Jew.
1: I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Most people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, we are going to go there.
0: I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that
2: if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there.
1: Find us wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Ben, you've told us about the search for disease X, the surveillance, the testing, the virus hunting, but there's another virus that's out there that's already causing great anxiety among scientists, which you've talked to the podcast about before, and which we have been really bothered about for the last few months and for the last year or so, and that's bird flu.
2: Bird flu really scares scientists. The world is going through its largest ever recorded
1: outbreak of bird flu. The spread of the virus from birds to mammals is heightening a risk of it spilling over into humans. The World Health Organization says we must all be prepared.
2: I mean, if there's anything that keeps scientists up at night it is bird flu. This is a virus which is currently absolutely spreading around the world, running through bird populations. Millions, if not hundreds of millions, of birds have been killed. Now, bird flu is nothing new. This particular virus, H5N1, first emerged in 1996 in poultry in Hong Kong and leapt into humans. And there was about 18 cases that year, of which six died. So it comes to Britain kind of on an annual basis in geese, ducks, uh, wading birds. Occasionally it gets into chicken houses and occasionally it infects humans. Since 1996, about 900 people have got H5N1. They've generally been people who work very closely with poultry and it's never spread from humans to humans. And it seems to have got less dangerous to humans over the last kind of 10 years.
0: So tell me then, why is it the thing that scares so much? If it isn't transmitting from human to human, where's the evidence that this is the next big thing?
2: So the virus has changed in the last two or three years. It hasn't changed in a way that's more dangerous to humans. If anything, it's probably less dangerous to humans right now, but it's become far more likely to spread amongst birds, and it's spreading into birds which have never had it before. Last year, it got into seabirds for the first time. Thousands and thousands of birds have died. And because it's to new species, the range has spread. So basically this now is a virus which affected a few species of birds in the past, and now it has the potential to affect every bird. Now that's a conservation disaster, but the more virus you have, more virus there is the sheer pressure of numbers the bigger chance it can evolve and for the first time it's now jumped into mammals
0: yes we've seen this internet with mink farms am i right
2: that's scary because this mink farm in spain there's actually evidence where The virus has got into this mink farm, we don't know how, but then there's now solid evidence that it's transmitted mink to mink. And that's the first mammal-to-mammal transmission. If it can spread amongst mink, in theory, it could spread amongst humans. But there's a lot of work that the virus needs to do to undergo the changes that allow it to transmit human-to-human. This is a virus that wants to spread amongst birds it's set up for birds it's not really set up for humans I mean you could have said the same about SARS-CoV-2 in bats you know these viruses do jump over
0: in order to figure out if and how a virus might jump from animal to human researchers have in the past conducted a type of experiment called gain of function
2: that's an experiment on a virus to give it additional transmissibility or to make it more virile. Essentially, you're changing the virus to see what it could do. You're changing it to see what mutations it would need to undergo, for example, to be transmitted human to human. And these are deeply controversial because you're basically creating a virus which is far more dangerous than the original. There was some experiments on H5N1 done 10 years ago to see how, what changes would need to be done for H5N1 to spread amongst mammals. And that showed it would need a whole constellation of mutations. But having said that, every time a virus replicates, it has the chance to mutate.
0: Ben, you've talked about mammal-to-mammal transmission, but What if the next pandemic comes from a lab leak?
2: And that's what could have happened with COVID. We'll probably never know whether COVID emerged via bats from a wet market or something similar in Wuhan, or whether it came out of a lab in Wuhan through some disastrous accident. But it doesn't really change the question of how we stop the next pandemic because there's absolutely no doubt that viruses do emerge from animals and there's absolutely no doubt that they can come out of lab leaks or they could even come out of a biological weapon but the way you deal with that isn't that different through surveillance, through testing, through vaccines, through treatments through ways of controlling the spread, stopping chains of transmission.
0: I mean, should we be optimistic that we've learned lessons from the most recent pandemic?
2: There are certainly things that we've learned, but there's also a lot that we've forgotten already. Mm. The way the world reacted to covid kind of showed us the best and the worst of us i think i mean the way that scientists created these vaccines in absolute record time shows what we can do the fact that it was the richest countries in the world that got those vaccines first and still a lot of countries are not vaccinated particularly well Shows how self-serving a lot of us are And a lot of our governments are When actually it serves us all to vaccinate everyone else Because we are not isolated countries We did incredibly well at creating testing infrastructure in the UK Particularly from basically standing start And a lot of that's been closed down already
0: Some powerful voices have criticised the shutting down of that Infrastructure? Are they right?
2: Ah, uh, personally, I think they are. There are things that we could have done to keep it going. I mean, just think about disease diagnosis in the UK. We're not good at it. Things like cancer, mm. we are particularly bad at diagnosing cancer. Now, why couldn't we have used our incredible testing infrastructure that we created for COVID and turned that towards? better diagnosis of cancer. Why couldn't we have used our vaccine infrastructure and used it for vaccinating against flu or MMR or anything else that we're not very good at doing? You know, it seemed just very short-sighted. Just there was a time when we were all doing lateral flow tests before meeting people. The technology exists to use one of those lateral flow tests to do a kind of three-in-one test. Yeah. Where, say, if I've got a cough, I could do a quick swab and see if I had flu or RSV or COVID. And the and, same and test. keep
0: flu out of your workplace.
2: Exactly. And what drives the winter crisis in the NHS every single every year? S- year? Flu <laughs> yeah. and RSV and now COVID. Yeah. People like Kate Bingham, who was the, the head of the Vaccines Task Force, has been very critical about the way the UK has gone backwards in pandemic preparedness.
0: This is not going to be the last pandemic and we need to have a better and quicker approach to identifying uh, potential pathogens and being able to build vaccines very rapidly. Our approach seems to have been to go backwards rather than to continue the momentum.
2: People like James Bethel, who was a health minister at the time of the height of the pandemic, has been very critical. Dominic Cummings, who has in number 10 before he fell out with Boris Johnson has been very critical and of course they've all looking at it with hindsight but I think there is something to be said about forgetting the lessons of COVID quite quickly.
0: Do you think when the next pandemic comes it'll be flagged up more quickly?
2: I mean I think scientists are pretty good now at sharing information but who knows where it's going to come from. I'd like to think We're better prepared in terms of surveillance, but it really depends where it emerges. It's just about how we spot it, where we spot it, and then frankly, what we do about it.
0: And also what it is, what if it isn't bird flu? What if it isn't a a coronavirus?
2: I mean, Tom Solomon said to me, if you've got a hammer in your hand, everything you look for looks like a nail. And that's basically what happened flu is what we were looking for people have been obsessed with influenza for a 100 years you know one of the great criticisms of our pandemic preparedness was we had a flu pandemic plan and that's all we had
1: we'd been too focused on influenza all of our pandemic preparedness was around influenza so we need plans that are more
2: generic and you know what, the next pandemic might be influenza, but that doesn't mean it can be something else.
1: What I've learned over the past 25 years is if avian flu is locking on the door, don't be surprised if it's something completely different mm-hmm. when the door gets opened.
2: It could be another coronavirus, it could be something mosquito born it could be something completely different. And we just need to be ready for that.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Sean O'Neill, and my guest, Sunday Times science editor, Ben Spencer. If you're a subscriber, you can read more of Ben's work at thetimes.co.uk, including his recent article about how to make the UK a science superpower. The producer was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kid Ford, and sign design was by David Crackles. If you can, please leave us a review. It'll help others to find us. See you tomorrow.